From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Larissa Loden is a jewelry designer. Now, I know what you might be thinking, isn't everyone? Indeed, jewelry is everywhere at every level. I could probably rattle off a dozen local jewelry designers right now. Don't worry, I won't. But that proliferation only makes Larissa's success more impressive. The Larissa Loden jewelry line is now sold in more than 800 stores nationwide, including high-profile names like Mod Cloth, Wild Fang, and the Smithsonian Museum. And to think, only four years ago, she was making jewelry on the side while still teaching in Minneapolis public schools. She was an art teacher. Beyond growing the business, Larissa is an advocate for other local artists. She's donated more than $30,000 to charities, and she's a new mom who's figuring out how to juggle it all. I'm delighted to welcome Larissa to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I was late this morning because I had to decide which of your necklaces earrings, bracelets that I own, I should wear. So that's my excuse. It was it was hard. Do you see your jewelry everywhere? I do, um, which never gets old. I always love it. I have stopped saying to people, though, like, oh, my God, like, I love your piece. I made it because I once did that on a plane and it got really awkward super really? fast. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I was sitting next to the lady and I was like, I love your earrings. I made them. And she's like, no, it's a local girl. Her name's Larissa Loden. I was like, yeah, I know. I am her. And she's like, no, you don't understand. I was like, no, you, like, seriously, it's me. Okay, and then that she was is like, funny. Yeah. And then she was like, oh, my God. And then I. Had, just was awkward the rest of the flight, so I've kind of just stopped. You just being backed like, off. Yeah, I don't like tap people. I'm like, hi, I made your, you know, it right. Just, yeah, you just go well. you just let that be like a silent moment. Yes. Okay. Yep. Well, that's very nice, but that's very fun. But let's go all the way back. When did you start making jewelry? How did you get into this? Because it was not your original profession. No. Yeah. Um. So I went to school for art education, and that was actually the idea. And I was actually introduced to jewelry through my art teacher. Um. So this is back in upstate New York. Dial back like mm-hmm. 18 years ago, mm-hmm. which is always crazy to say. Yeah. Um. I just came back from a foreign exchange experience. Had this new art teacher, and of course, kind of like was a little bit like dismissive to her because I loved my previous art teacher so much. Um, Needless to say, we obviously grew this great bond together. And then at my graduation ceremony on my chair was a necklace that she made for me. And that just kind of, I like literally didn't know that you could make jewelry. Huh. Yeah. And so after that, you know, this is in upstate New York. So she was actually from Woodstock, New York, of course. So that whole summer, I spent all of my extra money going to a bead store in Woodstock, New York and learning how to make jewelry and just kind of exploring the medium itself. Um, This is high school or college? So this is at my end of my senior year in high school. Okay. Also at that end of that year, I was moving here to Minnesota. With your family? No. Or no, for school? I followed 
swallowed a boy. Okay. <laughs> We're married now and have a daughter. Oh, well, it all yeah. worked out. Yeah. That's so sweet. So, yeah. I mean, and I also did go here for art education. Um, so you were always interested in art. Always interested in art. Um, I grew up in a family business. My family has owned a gift store in upstate New York for 30 plus years. What's it called? Um, the Apple Barrel Country Store. Still there? Still there. Okay. Yep. Actually, my brother is now taking it over. Yeah. Um, were you like in the store working oh, after to- school? Oh, totally. Like when I was eight, I was polishing apples. Like, <gasps> I mean, yeah. And then after school, like, you know, I did. I like if I wasn't doing an activity, then I was going to the store and like we were at the store on the weekend. Like I, you know, worked Black Fridays. I mean, sometimes we were prepping it on Thanksgiving. Like we'd have a very early Thanksgiving and then go into the store to prep Black Friday. And so. did you like that? Um, No. Like, <laughs> okay. um. I think like any um, young person growing up, they kind of a little bit, whatever their parents do, they're like, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I was like, you know, I was so fond of my art teacher. And so I was like, I want to be that for other people. And so I was like, I'm going to be an art teacher. You know, I'd done the grind of retail and um, I just was kind of like, I know, you know. Now it's funny. I look back at it, you know, but I learned so much from it. But I, you know, fought it. So and it was art education. So I moved here. So it wasn't that you were thinking I want to be a famous painter, sculptor. You wanted to be an art teacher. Yeah, okay. I did. Um, and so I was set out on this mission of just learning as many mediums as possible. Um, during my, so I went to um, the University of Minnesota for art education. Okay. So, yeah. And were you making jewelry on the side the whole time? I was. So naturally, of course. Of course, when I moved to Minnesota, I got a job at the Mall of America because that's what you do. <laughs> where? Um, where? At a bead mall? store. Okay. Um, and you could sell consignment there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so naturally that entrepreneurial spirit, it doesn't, you can't shake it. It's just mm-hmm. part of you. Um, and so I started selling jewelry. And then probably actually that same year, I did a super small um, street festival. It was a Booyah festival in South St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made $150. And I thought, Booyah. Oh, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I have arrived. Like, this is it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And then after that, I mean, it was um, just in the summers, you know, it was kind of like, so throughout college, I would do some more small art festivals. And then, you know, when I was a teacher, it's kind of the same thing. I was doing art fairs, like, on the weekends and on the summers and then teaching. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And did it occur to you back then that jewelry could actually be your business? Or did you just think of it as a fun hobby thing to do on the side? Um, At first, it was just a fun hobby thing to do at the side. Um... When I got my teaching job, it was a really early start school, so I was in the classroom by like 6.30, but I was done by like 2.30. And you were teaching elementary? Yes. Okay. Yep, yep. in Minneapolis, Minneapolis public schools, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was it what you wanted it to be? Did you love it? Was it... I did. I learned so much. Like, yeah. um, I bet I, you were a fun teacher. I, I, you know, I put my all into everything. Um, extrovert, not shocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I loved it. And that's like, you know, when I started out in art education, I just like I wanted to learn how to do so much. So I was always like we were exploring different mediums, different artists all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. No. Yes, I do. I was a fun teacher. I did try to. For sure you were a fun teacher. Okay, but uh, I think we we digressed. I was saying, do did you were you thinking in the back of your head, like maybe one day. I'll become a jewelry designer and I'm going to have a business with my name on it and I'm going to be in 800 stores. Um, Not in the beginning, for <laughs> sure. Like, it was really just like a respite. Like, I went home at the end of the day in silence, you know, was there for, you know, like three to four hours and I would just design sure. jewelry. And then... 
you have all this jewelry. You got to sell it. I mean, I guess you could keep it in your closet, but you know, so I just started selling it. And then it's selling it where? Um, at art fairs. But then I always kind of say, I was like, I got, I feel like I'm slightly lucky. Like all things just kind of right person at the right time. So like Etsy became a thing Mm. in 2008. Mm -hmm. So kind of just as I was becoming a teacher, Etsy was also becoming a thing. So I was an early adopter of Etsy and like literally you could list anything on the beginning days of Etsy and pretty much sell Hmm. stuff. Like, you know, in the photos, I look back at them. They were terrible. Like, oh, my God. Um, Did your jewelry then resemble at all your jewelry today? No. Um, I think I was really, in the beginning, still trying to find myself. Like, I think so many of us, like, this is me in my very early 20s. Like, I'm putting on different hats and trying to figure out what my style is and who I am as an adult and mm-hmm. everything. Um, so it definitely has changed. I mean, to be honest, it was not called Larissa Lonen back then. It was called Left Hand Originals because oh. I'm left-handed. And it's funny. I feel like so many people... Um, you're like, I'm going to start a business. Next step, business name. Most important thing, which now owning a business is so not the most. It's very important for branding and marketing, but it's sure. like the first thing you do. So when, now it's now, now it's my name. When did you make the switch? Um, I made the switch for a couple of reasons. I was doing all these outdoor art fairs and people were like, oh, that's jewelry for left-handed people. Oh. <laughs> And they say it really loud outside my tent. And I was like, no, like, it's not. It's, it's just, for I'm, everybody. It's for everybody. <laughs> I'm just left-handed. Um, so that would be a terrible marketing ploy because then that would close me off to, like, you know, only 10% of the population. Right. If that was true, which it's not. Um, and so I uh, started kind of thinking about doing a rebrand. Um, and this was around uh, Minnesota Fashion Week. There was this popular fashion show called Voltage Fashion Amplified. Right. Um, and I was a part of that for a couple of years. So I kind of did the overhaul at that time and I went just to my name. Okay. So, yeah. But you're still, you're, you're teaching by day. Yeah. You're making jewelry by night. Yep. Then you've got this, like you're going to fashion shows. I'm sure your students probably didn't even know nope. that <laughs> Ms. Loden is like cool on the runway in the evening. Yeah. Um, at what point did you start to think like, this is, this is more than just like a passion project. This is, this could be something. Um, Um, You know, it probably started happening about five years after I was in education. Um, I started, I actually went back to part-time teaching. So I actually had two employees and was part-time teaching at the time. But I was doing like the wholesale circuit too. So I was traveling to trade shows. Um, There to help people that are listening give me this idea like I literally like flew to a trade show in Las Vegas called Magic took the red eye flight and was back in my classroom the next morning like that is the level of intensity I was going at yeah yeah. and how did you even how did you know about Magic how did you know where to go um so some of the people that are local, so like um, there's a great store locally that's called Cliche. Um, they've been big supporters of mine from the beginnings from that Voltage Fashion Amplified. They learned about my brand and they were like, you should really do trade shows. And I was like, yeah. And I've been fortunate enough that I grew up in the industry from my parents' gift store that doing wholesale and trade shows wasn't like, oh my God, like I've walked the aisles of Javits growing up as okay. a kid. So you had some familiarity with how, how things work. I Yeah. I mean, I had a fam- I've been fortunate enough that I've had a familiarity familiarity with it, but definitely not a uh, deep understanding, which I've definitely learned throughout the years for Mm -hmm. sure. So let's take a moment right here to give people some visuals. If they haven't seen your jewelry and I can't believe it, I think now everybody listening is going to walk in. Oh, there's Larissa Loden. There's Larissa Loden. You're everywhere. But tell people a little bit about your aesthetic. Um, My aesthetic is really, um, it's, I call it for the bold minimalist slash boss babe. It's a lot of also like an attitude with it too. Um, 
it's not so fussy. Like, it's meant for the woman on the go. Like, you're going to put it on, but it does make a statement, you know? But then maybe that's because your jewelry is making a statement because you're doing the most in your day, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, like, fun, you know, pops of colors, like, huge on shapes, you know, can be layered on its own, you know? It's a functional piece of artwork. And so. you use, that's a great way of putting it, yeah. functional piece of artwork. Um, you use a lot of metals. Yeah. In metals, um, we do custom cut gemstones now. So like a lot of like triangles, like rough cuts. Um, so things that are matte versus shiny. Um, and then we really started working with this like polymer rubber component, which is really fun now and kind of different than what a lot of people are seeing out there. What I remember, I, I wish I could remember yeah. the first time I saw you. I'm sure it was at a pop-up or some kind of event or local store. Maybe it was cliche. Um, but I just remember thinking like these are cool pieces. These are like long, cool necklaces that I would layer, that I'd wear every day but and I'm a bargain shopper the price point was fantastic yep they were you were pricing yourself much more affordably than a lot of other jewelry designers at the time I felt like and still today yeah um and that's always been core of my business is that affordability aspect like I said I started the business when I was a college student and I mean I could not afford what like standard jewelry prices are yeah that being said, the markup in the jewelry industry is really um, super healthy. I mean, it's typically three to six times, which is insane. Um, and so I just kind of knew that, you know, there's a little bit of a cushion in there so that I can still have a very decent markup, um, but, you know, also make myself affordable for people so that they can have something that is handmade locally or in the U.S., you know, um, and still have that really fun, edgy look to them. What would you say is your sweet spot price-wise? Um, my sweet spot is definitely in the 30 to 50. It's a no-brainer gift, you know. It's something that you can treat yourself to. It's something that you can give to a friend that you don't have this, like, kind of sinking gut feeling like, oh, my God, yes. I love this, but, like, it's so expensive, you know. Right. Like, no, we... I am there, like, you know, I'm the top off on your outfit, and it's just, like, that nice, like, little, like, oh, little extra zhuzh. And is it difficult, um, especially as you evolve and you want to experiment with new materials, to stay in that price range? Um, It's at the forefront always of me. Like, you know, um, I'm definitely, um, so I kind of deal with, like, a lot of the materials, like, the supply chain of my business. And so, like, first thing is, like, I go to a vendor and I'm like, I would like a sample of this, but I'm going to then eventually, if I like it, buy X amount, what will my price be then? Mm. So so you can get better deals. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I let um, the people that I work with kind of know, like, you know, that it's called a large scale designer. Um, and yes, like, you know, like I understand that to get a sample of something it might be this, but I want to understand what will it cost me when I decide to buy it in volume. And, and so like. And yeah. are you really able to get better deals than the average yeah, designer sh- would get? I am. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just really like, you know, in any business, understanding your supply chain and then like, you know business negotiations, negotiating that out. So, yeah. yeah. How do you, was the growth just really steady? I'm just trying to imagine how you go from like making some pieces in the evening after you teach and you get home um, to, you know, and do a, a fair on the weekend to like supplying 800 stores. How, how do you ramp up? Um, you know, for the beginning, it was a slow burn for sure, you know, because I was teaching. And then there came a point, um, it was that um, Las Vegas magic trade show. I came back, I wrote an order for the Smithsonian Institute. How did they find you? The trade shows. Okay. Um, trade shows are, uh, they're so expensive and, but they're necessary for the industry. And um, how did you come up with the cash to do that? You're an art teacher. Um, all self-funded. Um, so beginning, like around the Etsy days, credit card debt. 
in all honesty. Mm. Um, But I reinvested everything in the business. I do believe because I got to be, was an art teacher for so long that I had then a salary from that. So everything I made from the business, I could reinvest in the business. Um, Mm. And then, you know, and then the business started making money and then it just kind of, you know, snowballed after that. But in those early days when you were taking the red eye to a trade show, (laughs) I mean, obviously you wanted this to be a real business. Yes. You knew that from, from the start. Yeah, I think I was in denial, though. Like, I really thought that I could juggle both things. Like, you know, I'm I, I'm like, I can do it all. Because um, you wanted to keep teaching. I did. I love teaching. Um, you know, there's something... Um, I've had several of like my middle school students find me now and you know in our studio in the Northrop King building and come up to me and like you know they're just like hey Miss Loden how are you doing like you know and I do think I'm like wow I made an impact as a middle school teacher like to be honest I don't remember many of my middle school teachers yeah um you know and you know it was super hard too like um it's funny you kind of remember the really good moments now and not the days that you come sure. home and you're crying or <laughs> exhausted um but it is it's a great profession super hard profession um but entrepreneurship is too but in way different ways i mean the beauty of an entrepreneur is that all the success in yours is all the failures is yours and there is a little bit when you're a teacher like you can like the classroom is yours but there is still like a level of bureaucracy sure so, yeah sure. well what failures have what failures have you had as a designer it seems like it's just been leveling up um, um, you know, learning, to be honest, I went to school for art education. Like the past two years, I've really tried to level myself up, you know, um, as a business, owner. as a business owner, you know, so like learning, you don't have things. an MBA. I don't have an MBA. So it's really been, you know, like trying to understand, you know, I've, you know, my P&L and my balance sheet and all that stuff, like human resources, you know, I'm all of that, you know, and so trying to understand it and navigate it in the best way possible, because I want to do it all correctly. How do you figure some of those things out? Have you have you taken classes? Have you do you have advisors? Um, I don't have advisors. I've um, really been uh, like, uh, obviously, mentor as like fellow fellow business professionals, but um, I've kind of become parts of different masterminds now. So locally we have like the BWC, which is the business women's circle. So that's been a huge help for me. Um, and then uh, I recently joined a product-based masterminds as well. So cool. yeah. What's been the, the hardest part to learn or the like the least fun part to do? Accounting and HR. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you can't outsource that? Um, You can, but it's so expensive. And, you know, I, I feel like we're now at that level that it can. But, you know, when you're like, I feel like a lot of people and it's just you and four people, like, you know, where do you do? Because a lot of like to outsource HR, they're like, oh, well, we need a retainer 500 a month. And you're just kind of like, wow, I could really use that $500 for something else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think that's really kind of, you know, navigating that world for sure. Um, How? What does your team look like now? Um, I have nine employees and then 15 contractors. So the contractors are the people. They're all local. So they're stay-at-home parents, college students, and they help us make the stuff. So, yeah. So you do the designs. Yes. You're, you yourself. Yep. You, you design a piece of jewelry. Do you make the first one? Do you make the prototype, figure out? materials, what it's going to look like, and then you pass that on to your contractors? Yeah, sort of. So what happens is, so now, and how this has kind of looked for the past year, year and a half, is I design the collection and or the limited design, and then I pass it off to my head of operations, and then she's putting in the cogs um, and kind of figuring out all of that aspect, like, you know, what is the labor component of it and the materials component, so your true cogs, um, and then we then start to figure out the markup and then all of, like, kind of the supply chain parts behind that. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, and your full timers, what what are they doing? Um, so a lot of them are managing. So some of them are then managing all of those contractors. Um, one is managing like our studio, and then like we do a ton of events still. So they manage that. Um, I have one person. She's my brand development manager. So she's like kind of my co-conspirator and everything. She's on the leader. I have a leadership team. It's me and that other person. But it's a leadership team. <laughs> Call it whatever you uh, want, yeah, right? Um, yeah, that's the beauty. You can do it. <laughs> you yeah. mentioned that you do a lot of events, and that has kind of fascinated me. And we've talked about this a little bit, but for a lot of brands, those events, the pop-ups, the weekend markets are sort of a good entry point. And then once they have some success, they stop doing those because who wants to be at a farmer's market every weekend? You're still out there, even though you're selling at the Smithsonian yeah. and all these other stores. Why? Why are you doing all the events? Um, um, a the retail markup is the best markup. Um, wholesale, you know, you're you just cut your markup in half. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit more than that, to be honest. Um, so when you're at an event, you're selling direct to consumers. That's all your profit. Exactly. Um, you know, that's one of the things. Um, so like my business is, it's actually only sixty percent B two B. The forty percent other of that is, you know, B two C, and only ten percent of that is online. Thirty percent of that is in person. You know, direct to consumer. Does so, that surprise you? Um, um, yeah, it does, um, but it doesn't. I mean, we do do a lot of events, but um, so many people, A, like, you know, jewelry is a lot like clothing where it's a little hard to translate online. So coming up and seeing it on person and trying it on, it just gives you kind of that instant like, oh, yes, I love this. And it's an impulse buy. It's too. an impulse buy. Um, and like, who doesn't like, you know, I personally, I love going to farmer's markets. So, you know, if I can get my zucchini and a pair of earrings, like win-win. <laughs> and so many people don't know about us. I think that's the thing is like, you know, people are like, oh, you're everywhere. I'm like, yes, I have. Yes, we are everywhere. There's so many people on me. Every single time I do an event, never, ever heard of the brand. Like hmm. they've never, ever heard of me. So you know? will you always do events? Do you see that as a big part of retail I, today? I do. Um, we're really trying to still figure out the formula, like as I think we've, you know, as you wrote an article about it, you know, like pop-ups are everywhere. So we're really trying to be more strategic now. Um, we really are calculating our ROIs on like which ones are the best ones to do mm-hmm. and most authentic for our brand and try to strategic that and also honestly starting putting on like our own events as well. So, um, well, speaking of yeah. that, I mean, you did an amazing um, art installation that really wasn't about, ju- I mean, did you sell, did you even sell any jewelry? We did. So besides the opening night where you came, yeah. um, we then had a bunch of limited designs available in like the check-in area. So okay. yeah. But it really wasn't about jewelry because wow, that was a lot of work. Can we, can you tell everybody what you did? Yeah. So um, we did this, um, it's called the Content Museum, which sounds strange, but it's really like you go there to create pictures, content for yourself and or for your business and or just, you know, you're taking photos. Mm-hmm. Um. And so it uh, was all around the idea of gemstones was kind of the entry point for it. But I really kind of thought about it like Fashion Week um, comes up twice a year here in Minnesota. And it's just not like special enough to have a pop up anymore, to be honest. Like, hey, guys, like, here's Larissa's jewelry. Like, it just isn't. So I really was trying to think of like, what is something that is an experience, is an event that honors the idea of jewelry, but really is exciting. I mean, people want experiences now. They want to be wowed. And so we really kind of thought, and I do believe, you know, Minnesota's in this weird, like, we're an up-and-coming kid, but we're still a little flyover country a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we started thinking of this in January, and we're like, let's do it. It's always kind of been on the back burner of my mind. Um, So... 
we decided to, yes, create a content museum in the Northrop King building in about five months. Which so. for anyone who isn't familiar, Northrop King is a building with a lot of a lot of artists are in there. That's where yes. you have your studio. It's a lot of cool, lofted, you know, artist spaces. Yep. And so it was during, a, was it was it like an open studio? Uh, what, yeah. what did you? So um, what we decided to do, so luckily Fashion Week Minnesota this past spring um, was right at the end of April. And then that kind of led into National. Naturally, Art World, which is a huge right. Northeast studio right, event right. in May. So it kind of like, so we spread it throughout all of May. So yes, during that time, we became an uh, events museum company and a jewelry so company. You'd, and it's interesting because it was around the same time. I'm, I'm sorry, don't get mad at me, oh, no. but um, <laughs> Candytopia was doing yeah. their experience at the Mall of America where it's like you're, you're walking through, you're walking yep. through an art installation. As an art teacher, you must love this phenomenon. Yes. I... To me, it's like this is born of the Instagram era, right? Because yeah. you go to these things, and it's like it's all about kind of taking the pictures, being immersed in art. So you go to you go to Mall of America; they've got this thing going on, and then you go over to to Northeast Minneapolis, and there's Larissa Loden, who's like already got her hands full, has a baby, has a jewelry line, has a company, and you've just created a content museum with a <laughs> bunch of local artists. And it was super cool to walk through, and I was like, where a where are you finding the time? How, how are you doing this? Does it get back to your art? Te- or is it feeding the art teacher in you? Um, I think it's feeding the art teacher in me. And then also just like um, I get bored very easily, um, you know. Um, so I, I like to push myself like, you know, I truly like you don't know whatever you're possible of doing until you kind of push yourself and, you know, you could fail along the way. Um, but you also I don't even honestly like learn you look at it as failure a lot of times I look at it as learning like I've learned so much just from owning my business as like a person you know and as a businesswoman in general um so yeah uh yes I was doing it all I have like really great staff like honestly at the end of the day like my staff is they're like my ride or dies a little bit you know they're right there and people who've been with you from the start yeah I mean I've one employee that's been with me for seven years which is amazing was it it must have been kind of a weird moment when you hired your first employee oh yeah it was um she was like an intern for me for like a hot second and I just felt incredibly guilty like a paid intern um like it was kind of this like weird I don't know what we would even have called it but literally it then became into an employee like instantly I was like oh my god did you know had you you set, uh, you know, a baseline for yourself, like when I am making this much, that's when I'll hire or when I get an order of this size. How did you know it was time to start hiring? Um, I um, couldn't do it all anymore. It's one of those things I think people like that's the I tell people this all the time. Now, if you're thinking about it, that means it's time. Hmm. Like, you know, because. And I think the hardest thing is people are like, oh, my God, how will I, you know, have somebody do this for me? Like, I can do it. And I'm like, yeah, you can do it, Cupcake, but you're not really doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah, you have to train somebody. But once you train that, then that's off of your plate. And somebody could honestly do it better, faster and more like just in general, more efficient than you. Has there so, ever yeah. been a moment now that you have staff? I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You got to keep things going. You got to keep growing to pay those salaries, to make money, to keep the lights on. Has there ever been a moment when you've been worried about that? Um. Yeah. Honestly, like this past year um, was really hard for me. Um, I 
leveled up in employees because I had my first daughter. I did not know at all what running a company and having a child would look like. Um, And so my payroll grew exponentially. So we had to do some restructuring, which was really hard. Um, But, you know, a really good friend of a business owner of mine was like, hey, Larissa, like your payroll's increased by 80%. What are you doing? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, and so what did you do? Did you just make more jewelry? Did what? How did you I'm a little bit. We were really like, and so that's really where I say, like, you know, I went to school for it already education is like really leveling up as a business owner and understanding my books and you know um you know these different aspects of running my business so like uh it's called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that as well. And so it's really like delegate, elevate, or delete. And so we really, I'm looking at the business and I'm looking like, what can I delegate? What can I elevate, delete? So that way I can be the best business owner for my company and get the word out there and everything. Well, especially now that you're a mom and your priorities have, have shifted a little bit, how do you, how do you find the balance? It's your business. It's your name. Can you ever turn it off? Um, no, you don't ever turn it off, but um, I've hired you know people to do very specific roles um, in my company, and I trust them to do those things. Um, so there's a leap of faith that you take. Um, but if you can do that, then you're able to do so much more. Um, you know, and I've learned, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's a little bit more like I always when people are like, oh, it's a small business. It's handmade. I feel like, you know, that I've got to make compromises like towards that corporate job. And so I do. I try to pay people a fair salary. We do give health care to our full time staff, you know, and benefits. Um, so how long have you done that? Um, so that has been, it's been kind of a progression, um, but this year is when we were able to do healthcare. So like we were able to do like PTO and that kind of stuff before, but this year we were able to do healthcare. It's always on my trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do ask a lot of my staff out of there, but it's a lot like I think like nonprofits, like people always feel like, oh, to work for a small business or to work for a nonprofit, I have to compromise. And I would say on my end, I'd rather hire people of talent and skill and offer them pay. I have to pay them more, but offer them more. So that way I can grow the business, you know, sure. and focus on those things, you know. Sure. I mean, we have this kind of we uh, work really hard and we party hard kind of a thing. So, yes, I took everybody to like a very fun Alamo Draft House uh, movie party last year. We watched Elf and yeah, somebody ate a lot of spaghetti with maple syrup on it. But- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a party. Yeah. Um, but has it changed for you personally? Whereas like before before you had your daughter, I'm guessing late nights weren't a problem or what, you know, staying at the office. Now you want to get home to her. Yeah. um, Has that shifted the culture? um, It shifted the culture. I mean, it's really like one of these things like um, people have deliverables and I expect them to meet those deadlines and everything. Um, I don't micromanage as much um, because of that. Um, But people do. They come in and they do their work and their job. And yeah, I do. I want to get home to my little one. I mean, honestly, the biggest balance is me and dad been figuring out our balance as well. You know, communication is key. I mean, across the board, communication is key. Um, I tend to I try to have a lot of difficult conversations. I check in with people. Um, I try to once a month. Sometimes it becomes like six weeks. Um, But just to check in with them and see how they're doing on a human scale and on a business scale, because Mm -hmm. It's so easy to not communicate like, you know, you're just in the thick of it. But um, from communicating with people and sometimes asking them hard questions, but honest questions, it's like, oh, 
you know, you had this wrong assumption. I had this wrong assumption. We're honestly on the same level and just getting that under the rug and or out of the rug. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can Will you ever not do the designs? I mean, is that sort of the heart and soul to you? That is. Um, I, you know, it's one of those things that I can't give away. Like, you know, I definitely have a very, like, driven design aesthetic. Like, and I don't know. Like, it's always funny because it just comes out of play. Like, people are like, oh, my God, where was this collection inspired from? I'm like, literally, I just sit at a table, like, every now and then. I just start playing and like see what starts coming out of it and then kind of going off from there you know I'm very much so inspired by materials and just you know what's going around me at that time in the world so Mm -hmm. yeah um do you have role models or like you know kind of benchmarks in business like I want to get to the level of I don't know Kendra Scott or Kate like what what do you want to be what do you want the Larissa Loden brand to to be um, I really want it to be um, a brand of like female empowerment, honestly. Like, that's really where I've realized I want the trajectory to go. I would like eventually to have a true brick and mortar kind of, you know, I don't know if Kendra Scott is the correct model for us. Um, I do look like a little bit more of like authentically at like a Wild Fang or like a Bandeau as kind of more where we would possibly and go with the brand. What's different about those brands? What are they doing? Um, I would say, I mean, I think it's just like we closely more align with them in marketing um you know the Kendra Scott mile is super smart though um I do um I have so um I have swatted her out um you know uh I would say what she does is really smart is her her retail stores are experiential so you can come in there and she has a bobble bar and you can make things and that's super smart um you know and now they're just kind of scaling up from the after she that. also sells through Nordstrom and other department yes. stores as well as having her own brick and mortar. She does, yeah. She does B2B and B2C as well. And then honestly, yes, e-commerce as well. So I think what she does is really, I, I so I shouldn't say I don't want a Kendra Scott model. It's more of like, how could I do that that's authentic to me and what I want out of my business? I mean, I think I'm more closely aligned in the ideas of aesthetic with a bando or a wild fang. But mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> Um, okay, wait a second. So what does that mean to swat it? What? Um, swatting is, so it's strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, you're not swatting at, no, at Kendra's no, no. jewelry. No, okay. crazy. There's a lot of acronyms in the business world. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's really like um, when you take a look at something um, anywhere and you swat it out. So like, what are the strengths of that model? You know, so like some of her strengths, just like my strengths are that, you know, we have multiple sales channels. So we have wholesale, we have retail and we have e-commerce, you know, um, you know, what are like the opportunities from a model like that? What are the weaknesses and Got like what it. are the threats, you know? And are there other brands? I just, that was just one that came yeah. to mind as far as like a jewelry company that you're seeing in, you know, in malls and you're seeing it on the rise. Are there other that you look at or I mean jewelry or other products um there are uh, I mean I think Kendra Scott really has like as far as like a jewelry brand that has hold on to it now she's starting to branch out into lifestyle um so that's been kind of interesting um you know I think a one that's really been interesting for me to kind of watch um, is Nasty Gal that has now switched into Girl Boss with Sofia Amoroso. Like she had the whole Netflix thing um, in a book and, you know, and so business transition too, you know. Um, and I think what she's really candid about is like she scaled up way too fast and um, 
um, didn't understand her business at all. Um, and, you know, Nasty Gal filed for right. bankruptcy, right. you know. So and now she's cautionary built- tale for Yeah, you, you know. Um, but now she's building the Girl Boss Network with much more thoughtful intention and what is holding true to her core values. And I think that's really, it's like really knowing who you are and what you stand for and like who is your business and then always being like, does this reflect us? Is this our core values? Could you imagine the Larissa Loden brand not making jewelry? Like, could it be something else? I possibly, it's always like, oh, it's so easy to be like, I could dabble in this. I could dabble in that. Like, you know, we made a pin or something like that. Um, But the problem with that is, is if it doesn't, you know, if you don't hold true to what you are, you know, it almost dilutes your brand a little bit too. Um, And so that's really where I'm truly trying to analyze and kind of plan out for the next like three to five years. Like one of my business personal goals is to have all um, about in the next three to five years, all of our components, about 50% of them manufactured here in Minnesota as well, which means buying machinery and getting a facility as oh, well. Oh, wow. Because right now you're buying the components and you're doing the assembly. Yeah, a mix. Yeah, we do the assembly. We do have components custom made for us, but I would really love to just like shore up that supply chain and be like, we do this. There's a ton of risk involved with that too. Um, you know, there's a reason people outsource and manufacture, you know, out of, you know, out of just their facility alone, you know, but I really do feel like to um, have the brand stand for what I believe in, that it's going to be crucial for us. And ultimately, from a financial standpoint, I mean, once you make the investment, does it become more economical for you to be doing that in-house? Yes and no. I mean, there um, uh, can because of a cost of pure supplies, but then you have staff. You know, and, you know, human workforce labor, which is very expensive. But I am uh, I believe in giving people, you know, jobs and like good jobs, too, if we can. So, um, you know, but that is also a risk, too. And that's why people a lot of people do outsource it, because it's a lot easier to be like, oh, you know, everything is, you know, the business is shrinking or we're changing and everything. And so then I can just cut off that supply chain at so yeah sure. but you want to keep growing I want to keep growing um I want to keep growing in an authentic way for us like as you said before the jewelry world competition is super fierce yeah um so you know it's one of those mediums that it's very easy to get into um which is great it's accessible but that also means that your competition is very thick so how do you cut above that and really it's for us it's like understanding who we are and how we connect with our customers at the end of the day. You know, we love our customers, so what do, can we do for them? And do you feel like the consumer today is buying, like they want a Larissa Loden piece? I mean, I feel like there are a lot of mass retailers that might kind of rip you off or do similar things to their own, but they're just kind of generic yeah. versus buying a Larissa Loden piece. Is that the compelling part for people? I do believe so now. Um, and I think that we all operate like that. Like, I I would rather support a brand that I closely align with personally, you know, mm-hmm. and so we've really kind of doubled down on communicating who we are as a brand and a company, like what we stand for um, and who our person is. Because at the end of the day, if you can stand behind that brand, then, you know, that's just a closer alignment for both of us. How do you get, um, you know, share your beliefs or your feelings without, do you work about alienating some I used customers. to I don't anymore um you know uh 
while ago um, when I was pregnant, we made this kind of controversial necklace. Like, I don't view it as controversial anymore. Um, you'll have to scroll through our Instagram feed to look at it because I was a sweary bear. And then, I mean, I don't <laughs> can know. Can you just, can you, can you like... I mean, it was a political necklace. Okay. Um, and we donated all of the proceeds to an organization called Races. Um, you know, and some people were really upset about it. And I got some, like, nasty DMs. And it kind of affected me. And then, you know, it was somebody said to me, they're like, Larissa, why do you care? Like, they're never going to buy your jewelry anyways like you know wouldn't you rather just have customers that love you and love what you're doing and I was like yeah you know like I as a human like you know I don't not everybody's my friend so you know I'd rather just work with people that you know have customers that I closely align with and we give each other high fives and at the end of the day like um and it's also that idea of like you know People like brands that put themselves out, out there, like a Nike or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. like I buy Nikes now because they put themselves out there, you know, of what they stand for. And other people don't. But, you know, that brand loyalty is really important. And I do. I, you know, at the end of the night, I sleep easy knowing like I made a choice that I believe in. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm OK with that. You know, I might have alienated some people along the way, but that's OK. Like, you know. It doesn't. I know what I did in my heart is what I wanted to do. And mostly, it isn't so much. It isn't just politics. It's more like empowerment. It's more just kind of slightly irreverent. Uh, yeah, I mean kind that, of that one was. I mean, but yeah, we've done a ton of others too. Like you know, we give back to Cookie Car. You know, um, as another one that we do locally all the time. We donate five percent to them. You know, I just you know I pick stuff that I care about, and you know I just say it loud and proud. So, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, and as far as your other ch charitable donations, do you have a formula for that? Or how do you decide where money's going and how much is going? Um, we kind of just like figure out, does it stick with our company's core values now? Um, you know, obviously, like any small business, we get approached for donations. And we just kind of are like, does this fit within our company's core values? And if I feel like there's a need for something and or if I can use my platform for exposure to a donate to it and then let other people know about it. Then I'm going. Then we're going to do that. So, okay. yeah. What advice? Because I know increasingly you're getting asked to talk about business, not yeah. just about jewelry and <laughs> art. Um, what advice would you give somebody else if you think about, you know, high school graduate Larissa wants to make jewelry, wants to be an art teacher? What, what advice would you give yourself at that stage? Is there anything you would do differently to set yourself up? Yeah, I would. I would join mastermind groups and that kind of thing a lot. Early on. Way earlier on. Um, would you have gone to business school? I I don't know, um, only because um, there's so much time dedicated and I do know, know I do know what my needs are. And so like I do hire out people that are experts in that area to kind of give me that really intense crash course of what I need to know. Mm -hmm. And then it works with my schedule, you know, especially being a mom, like my schedule is very um, all over the place. And so that that has been a thing. But um you know, I, I do kind of like think about an MBA, though. There's a couple of really unique programs out there where you can do like a really hyper intensive, like four week crash course. Like there's one out in Massachusetts. Um, So I do think about it. But I'm also like trying to think, what would I get out of it that right. I couldn't do get? You need it. Yeah. Yeah. That I couldn't get from my network now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I would say like building your network. Do you are you enjoying the business as much as you enjoy the thing that got you into business, which was the jewelry design? I yeah, I actually think I love it more. Really? Um, I sometimes I do think that it just happened to be jewelry. Um, 
it probably could have been a lot of things. Like, I'm very lucky that it was jewelry um, just because it has a, you know, a great profit margin um, that's allowed me to do some other things because of that. I mean, if I was in the cereal business, that's, you know, the food business has a terrible profit margin. So <laughs> not restaurant, but yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so it could really be anything. I think owning a business and being um, creating something from nothing is it's it, uh, it keeps you on your toes, but I love the exhilaration of it. Sure. Um, will you ever hit a point that to keep growing, you need to raise money, that you need you know, an infusion of cash, cash investors? Um, I haven't yet. I mean, I definitely have been trying to level up in my understanding of the VC world just in case that was to happen. Um, I don't see a reason why yet, but it's one thing as I've listened, like I listen to a lot of podcasts, including <laughs> this one. Thank you. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where I'm just trying to understand that world better because a lot of people say that it's um, an offer that they couldn't refuse. That they weren't looking for that offer. It just kind of came to them. And so if that does ever come to that point, I would like to feel like I know enough about my books and, you know, what mm-hmm. my company is worth and kind of the trajectory of it to be like, is this a good fit for how I want it to go? Are you paying yourself these days? I do. Yeah. I am on the books. I have a salary. Yes. Very nice. Yes. Good for, have, have, how long has that been the case? Um, That's actually been for probably now like um, three, four years. I have had some really great advice along the way. Um, so um, we're incorporated and everything. So yeah, that's okay. just smart tax advice. So, very good. Yeah. Very good. Is your jewelry sold at your family's store in it upstate is. New York? They get a healthy discount though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And very net generous net terms. So yeah, <laughs> if you guys are listening to this, I believe you're, it's about time for your bill to be paid. How yeah. about that? Yeah. yeah. Get on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, Larissa, it's so impressive what you've done. It's been so fun to watch you go from pop-ups to stores to everywhere. You're worldwide. Oh. Thank you. I'm really excited to see what's next. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Larissa. I love your story and can't wait to see what's next. And hey, stick around. Next, we're going back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. And now, back to the classroom with our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. It's a Pretty big change going from uh, an individual making jewelry at home to a large-scale business. How do you make that shift? Well, let's go back to the classroom with Professor David Deeds. He's the Schultz Endowed Chair in Entrepreneurship here at the University of St. Thomas. Professor, I think so many people have the idea they can they can do as much work as humanly possible, but turning that into a, a bigger business is no small task. Larissa seems to be doing that, but but what do you, what stands out to you about how 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 far she's gotten at this point? Well, it's a really good story, and she's accomplished a lot. Um, she's got a good background, you know, coming from a family business. Um, She's been involved in business. That's right. She, you know, she just kind of immersed in it, and so she's got some background. So she's she, she even though she's trained in art she, and, now, and now picking up a lot of business skills along yeah. the way. She talks about, um, but it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, it starts with a core 
capability. I mean, she's got an eye. She creates things that clearly the customer wants. Sure. And she's been in the middle and face-to-face with the customer through Etsy and all of these um, pop-ups and sure. the art fairs and everything. So she's she's checked that box. She mm-hmm. knows she has a product that people want to buy. But now creating the infrastructure to scale that business right. is a Now challenge. the Smithsonian comes through right. and others. And you're not making a hundred. You're making a thousand mm-hmm. or five thousand. And so it is a very difficult and it's a very um, risky time for businesses because you're all of a sudden laying a lot more money. You're giving terms. You're not directly cash flowing. You are having to bring other higher employees and bring additional people on. Um, You need to get good advice. Um, having large margins is very helpful. One mm-hmm. of the things she expressed in there, that is that is very helpful. It has allowed her to grow, reinvest. You've got to be prepared for your actual take-home in that business as it's growing to probably come down because you're going to have to spend the money. And you go into a large retailer, and they'll be, they'll be paying you in minimum 30, more likely 60, 90, or as much as 120 days. So now you're financing your 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 retailer. Um, And so all of this comes together and you've got to professionalize. Mm -hmm. You've got to get your accounts right. You've got to pay your taxes right, which means you've got to be bringing in people. Either you're going to be hiring an accounting firm or somebody to help you, or you're going to be bringing somebody in. And the first thing to begin assessing is where are your shortfalls? Where are your weaknesses? Where do we want to shore up? What do I want to let loose? And that's one of the things that she also, Luris also talked about is figuring out what to bring in. And, you know, you, if you're not an operations guy, then you need to get somebody operational yeah. in underneath you. And so you need to prioritize your way in. You need to hire before you get inconsistent. The one thing that mm. your retailers, your customers, et cetera, don't want is unpredictability. They don't want a promise of a thousand items and inst- you know, in a month and instead get 400 items in six weeks and they aren't the right ones. And the, and the more stressed you get, the more your operations get stressed, the less reliable you become. And they have other options. So you have to really be accountable and reliable with all of those with all of your customers in order to maintain the relationship and expand the relationship, particularly in the retail side of things where you're going in on a trial basis almost always. Well, let's bring you in. Let's give you some shelf space here. Let's you know, let's 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 take this amount of your product. Let's put you in six stores. Right. Okay. It's a test of whether the product will sell, but it's also a test of whether you can deliver. And you're suddenly growing, and now you've got to keep delivering. And so you've got to build the organizational structures that allow you to be reliable and reproducible. And you've been seeing that as she's talked about, you know, her payroll's up 80%. Now, she sounds like she may have squeezed it back down a little bit, but... Did that alarm you, hearing that big of a jump? No, actually. Okay. No, actually, if you're going through a takeoff, if you're hitting that inflection point and you're, you're growing... Your personnel expenses and your organizational expenses should lag far behind whatever your growth rate is, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, you've got a certain amount. There's some scale you're hopefully going to pick up, and so it won't grow quite as fast. But if you're growing 80, 90, 100, 200 percent in a year, then, yeah, your expenses and your personnel are going to have to be growing to keep up with that. If you don't, then you can't deliver. And right. if you can't deliver, they're not coming back. And next year, your gross is not going up. 
it's going down. Yeah, sounds like a, a major pitfall. I've heard other businesses like Larissa's go mm-hmm. through. It seems like she's setting herself up for success. She seems to be doing all the right things. She really does. And she's, you know, taking advantage of the groups that she's that she's talking about and talking to a lot of business owners, finding some mentors, building up um, her skill set. Um, because, yeah, she's, you know, you, 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 you start off as the designer or the chef or whatever it is right. that's the skill that gets it all started, but you eventually become a manager Yeah. if you're successful and you grow. So you have to build the skills to be a manager. You have to understand accounting. You got to know your P&Ls. You got to learn the basics of marketing and brand building and all the rest. Right. You know, and, and in a business like Larissa's and a business is like we're talking about, you don't have a staff of 100. You don't have a marketing department. You don't have, you know, you have to have good knowledge of all of it because you're going to get help, but you're going to be having to make a lot of those decisions and you're going to have to be able to ask good questions and make good decisions. Right. Great advice as always, Professor Deeds. Thanks so much for joining us and thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps. I'm Allison Kaplan. On behalf of Twin Cities Business, thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfish. Hope you enjoyed By All Means. Bye.